0: Genesis chapter 1 this is uh, this is the first Sunday of Advent and uh, so churches around the world are uh, kind of setting themselves in that direction um, and Advent is not it's not just a different way to say Christmas or a more uh, you know spiritual way to say Christmas or anything like that. Um, Advent is a part of the church calendar. It's been around for uh, several hundred years that was uh, if you look at the church calendar um, we just go through different seasons uh, Advent is similar to Lent uh, it's the season leading up to uh, our celebration of, um, of of Jesus and his uh, incarnation Lent is the season that leads up to us celebrating uh, his crucifixion and death you know the atonement uh, there are, are other uh, times times of the year where different things are focused on and so the church calendar is kind of put together in order to to make sure that we didn't get so caught up in uh, life here on earth and um, all the things that, you know, uh, churches do and all this kind of stuff. We wouldn't stray so far off that we would forget to um, to really participate in the, the things that, that are foundational for us. And, um, and I know over the last couple of years, just from, from talking with people at the ring and stuff, a lot of us didn't grow up in churches that, that really uh, celebrated Advent in a traditional kind of way. Um, some people are familiar with the, the Advent wreath, you know, and you'd have you'd a lot of different candle each week and stuff. Um, so a couple of years ago, we really felt that, that the Lord was leading us as a church to, to have kind of a different uh, drive during this time, that um, if we're going to celebrate the incarnation of Christ, that that would... Basically infiltrate all areas of our lives and and so he's really been God's just really been teaching us over the last couple of years how to do this well together and um, so we're going to talk later on uh, tonight about a couple of things we have coming up um, but as far as the direction as far as teaching goes uh, we're going to kind of center around this one verse and it comes from revelation twenty one five and this is what the verse says um, it says, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Um, everything we're going to do is kind of going to center around that as a, maybe a theme or whatever you want to call it uh, or whatever. But uh, behold, I, I am making all things new. That God is the one who is seated on the throne at that point, part in Revelation 21. And he's saying, Behold, or look, you know, look and see that I am making all things new. All things will be made new. And so uh, for our first Sunday of, of Advent, um, we're going we're to kind of take an, an overview approach to what he's talking about here and, and then look at kind of how Jesus coming to earth and how the Christmas story and all that kind of stuff fits into what he's doing, uh, what he says he's doing right there in that verse. Uh, so tonight will be kind of a broad deal. Next week we're going to get specific about what that looks like. So next week, um, we're going to be talking about the return of Jesus, uh, the new heaven, the new earth, uh, basically um, everything that's going to happen down the road. Now we're gonna not, we're not going to go through like left behind type stuff. So if you're into that stuff, you're going to be very disappointed next week. Uh, that's not what we're going to focus on. Not tell you what stance our church takes and whether the signs of the times are and if the oil prices and ears will go up, what that means, how soon Jesus is coming back. We're not going to. We're not going to go that direction with things. Uh, so sorry to let you down. That's what you're hoping for. Uh, we're going to look at, okay, we know that he's coming back. But what's going to happen then? What exactly is this new earth, new heaven deal, and how does that fit into Christmas? And uh, So we're going to get really, really specific. We're going to walk through the end of Revelation next week and just go kind of verse by verse. Um, we really We know a lot more about our future than we realize, and it's not in the clouds with mansions and, like, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I know that a lot of our great hymns, the last verse, you know, would deal with, you know, going to heaven or, you know, I'll fly away kind of deal. And we're going to look at how the fact that's not really what the Bible teaches. Um, instead of us flying away, it's more like it comes here. And that's going to be crazy. It's going to be great. So next week, um, in addition to talking about that, we also get to eat pancakes and bacon afterwards. So it'll be it'll be a great night. So, um, but not to, that's next week. Tonight... There's no bacon, no no bacon, no pancakes. Uh, we're just going to look at this overview. And what it, what what is he talking about when he says, "I make, behold, I make all things new"? Uh, what's what's the point of that? You've heard me before, uh, probably talk about uh, my summation of of the biblical story. Uh, I kind of put it in, into three chunks. Uh, the first chunk is that God made everything and it was good. The second chunk is that man sinned and messed everything up. And the third chunk is that Jesus comes and fixes it all, okay? Those are kind of my three, that's the whole Bible in a very weird nutshell. And so, um, I kind of want to go through each of those really, really slowly, and we're not even going to look at all the verses, but I sent you to Genesis 1, um, because I want you just to be able to, to look and see. This stand's about to make a weird noise, so just bear with me. And it sounds like a goose every single time. I that's, that's what we need. But I kind of like that it sounds like a goose every time. I don't know, it makes me happy. Uh, okay, so uh, God made it, made everything and it was good. Then man sinned and messed everything up. And then Jesus comes and fixes everything. So the first chunk, that would be Genesis 1, Genesis 2. And if you just, just look at it in general, uh, it's descriptions of the creation, two different accounts. Um, and so God goes through and he makes everything just like he wants it. Uh, so he, he makes the, the universe, he makes um, earth, he makes the animals, he makes uh, the water, he makes the trees, he makes all everything just like he likes it. He makes man and says it's not good for man to be alone, so he makes woman and and then he rests. and so everything that he made was it was perfect. God is unable to do anything less than perfection. and so um, so everything he made was good. it was exactly right, it was exactly right. Uh, So that's Genesis one and Genesis two. So, not far into the storyline, we come in and mess everything up. That would be the second chunk, be Genesis three. So um, you are probably familiar with the story: Uh, Adam and Eve. That would be the man and the woman. They live in the garden, and God says, "You can you can uh, eat of any tree in the garden that you want, except for that one. Don't eat of that one. Uh, Eat of anything else. You tend to the animals. You know you." Like, you, this is your deal. Like, this is your place. I made this for you. I want you to, to live here. And uh, that's just the, the one deal. Don't eat of that tree. And, um, of course, they eat of the tree. And uh, the woman eats, and then she convinces Adam to eat. And then they uh, they lose that innocence, and they become ashamed, and they hide from God. Um, and so God seeks them out. And he, you know, says, what did you do? And they say, we ate of the fruit. And he's like, yeah, I know, because of God. And uh, and so he deals with the situation, and um, he makes some clothing for them, and he sends them out of the garden, and says, uh, and he gives them some some really bad news, and that's where that's where the all things new verse that we looked at a second ago, that's where that really starts to make sense, is understanding how Genesis one and two collide into Genesis three. Look at I sent you Genesis three. Look at verse fourteen. This is this is what is handed down to, uh, to the serpent um, who is the was the, the tempting one in the in the story. Uh, then he hands something down to, uh, to the earth and to the man and to the woman. Uh, so verse fourteen The Lord God said to the serpent Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field on your belly you shall go. And dust you shall eat all the days of your life I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and and her offspring he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel okay so everybody like our hatred for snakes goes back to Genesis three um, but but bigger bigger than that there there comes this tension between like bear with me this tension between the animal kingdom and humanity there's this tension that's there. So, uh, you know, we have domesticated some animals, but for the most part, it's kind of us against them. And we tend to win most of the time. Uh, Jurassic Park was on TV like the other day. Me and my brother watched it, went back to our childhood. And uh, that's kind of freaky when we don't win. But for the most part, like we we win. We win. Um, But there's this enmity that's there. There's this strife that's there. And so because of the sin of mankind, now the animals have to pay. Okay, like they're under this curse as well. And look at verse uh, 16. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. Okay? That basically is not saying that before sin, childbearing would not be painful. But now it's like the pain is multiplied. Okay, um, in pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Okay, there'll be this tension that's there between men and women. That's where that That's where that comes from. Um, and, and so there's, uh, there's this relational like curse that, that happens that, that we live under, that there's this strife that happens between, between one another. Um, verse 17. And he said to, and to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Curse is the ground because of you. Okay. cursed is the ground because of you. All right. Remember that, um, in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and dust you shall return. All right? Um, so beforehand, like, man, we're still going to have to work. But now work was, was going to be full of toil. Uh, he's going to work the ground the ground would no, no longer cooperate, so um he's like if you ever try to plant anything and then like weeds grow up you know it 's like where where are you coming from um there there's this uh this curse that it's it's under um planting and growing and harvesting and all the stuff that that man would would have been able to do without all those problems. now the ground is under this curse, so literally the earth that we live on um was cursed because of man's sin. It sounds strange to think about, but that's that's how it is. And so for the man, it's gonna, it was you, you were before you're going to have to work. Now you're going to have to work, and it's going to be it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. You're gonna you're gonna hate work now. Um, and the the ground is going to work against you. Animals are going to work against you. Uh, even your spouse at times is going to work against you. Um, so there is this this relational curse between people. There is a relational curse between men and animal and between men and the earth. <coughs> so, when God at the end of the book is saying, behold, I make all things new. I'm making all things new. Um, that's what he's referring to. He's referring back to the beginning when everything got messed up. He's saying, I'm going I'm to make things new. The, the, the curse that everything exists under the curse that man is under, and because of man, because man's under that curse, also animals and also the earth. I'm going to make all that stuff new again. I'm going to fix all that stuff again. That's what he. That's what he's talking about. If you, um, if you want to flip to Romans 8, you can do that. If you want to stay put, that's fine too. In Romans 8, we see a, a little something that's different, uh, put put in kind of a different way. Some of y'all got nervous when I said Romans 8. I should go now. Romans 8, verse 18. That's how Paul explains what I was just talking about. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Okay? How many times in there is he talking about creation groaning, creation yearning and just longing for that redemption? Um what he's doing is he's kind of personifying the earth. He's personifying all the created order that we live on. He's basically saying every everything, the earth, the animals, they're all begging for like they're all begging to be made new again. They're begging for that bondage and that curse to be lifted. the they're, they're, it's groaning like in childbirth. They're just the earth is crying out. And so when we when we when we are faced with the reality of the world that we live in, sometimes we look at we look at what happened in Haiti, and the so the earth shifts and all this destruction happens. We look at tsunamis that come in. After these plates shift under the earth and parts of of the ocean, we've seen it in Japan and in Indonesia. Um, we've experienced our you know hurricanes here, and there are tornadoes that went through in, like in Alabama. I mean, we're very familiar with nature crying out and the the like in birth pains, longing for that redemption. That's that's why those things happen. People always say like you know well like why you know why didn't God stop this? Why didn't God stop this? It's like well this is the this is the curse that we all live under. The way it shows up in my life and in your life is is like the, our struggles with sin. The way it shows up with the earth is that the earth has earthquakes and tsunamis and floods and all these that's how it shows up. Those natural disasters are supposed to point to a greater reality that we need redemption. We need someone to step in and fix everything and that someone is Jesus. I'm not sure how it shows up in the animal kingdom. I'll be honest. I'm a little, I don't really know how it shows up there. But it, they fall under creation in those verses. So somehow, maybe they're having little powwows you know, or something. I don't know. Maybe that's where all the deer are every time I go deer hunting. They're, they're having theological discussions instead of coming out and eating acorns, you know, that they're supposed to. But anyway, um, all, of, all of creation, though, sits in that second chunk right there. Remember first chunk, God made everything and it was good. Second chunk, man sinned and messed everything up. Literally everything is messed up because of it. And so when man messed everything up, God came up with this plan. And he set that plan in motion. So the first chunk is Genesis 1 and 2. The second chunk is like Genesis 3. And then from that point on uh, is like the new plan. So this is how the plan worked. Uh, God started; he started making promises. He gets, this, he gets the Israelites, makes promises to them. Uh, so, you know, starts with Abraham and then goes on and on, and and builds this nation. And he starts speaking to this nation through the prophets of saying, "I'm going to send someone. I'm going to send someone. I'm going to send someone." And they're like, "That's really that's really great." They wanted someone to come and be this great leader who would lead them to be a great nation on the earth. What they failed to realize was that God had given them this law, uh, these Ten Commandments that they were supposed to keep, and by not being able to keep them, it was supposed to reveal the fact that there's a there's a flaw inside. They didn't understand, they didn't understand, they didn't have the Bible like we have it. They didn't understand the whole storyline. Um, so God starts speaking through the prophets, and they're saying, no, 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 it's about the law and the fact that we can't keep the law, and so we need somebody to come because the problem is is inside. It's not... It's not in our minds, it's not in our behavior, there's an internal problem, internal problem. They, just, they didn't really get it, they didn't really get it. So the prophets, they start looking forward, they're, basically they're, they're saying, like, there's another chunk that's coming. We know God made everything is good and we know, we, every, we know things are messed up, but there's another, there's someone that's going to come for that last part and bring it to completion. And so they kept pointing forward, pointing forward. And so they would say something, some people would believe, and Israel had this, they were really, really faithful, and then like completely they fall on their face. They kind of had this up and down history trusting God and then not trusting God. Trusting God and not trusting God. And it goes and goes and goes and goes and then they hit this, this point where God stops talking to them. He stops speaking through the prophets. And that's the point at the end of the Old Testament between the old when the Old Testament was written and the New Testament comes about is 400 years of God not saying a word. And a part of what that led to was the people becoming really, like really, not impatient in a bad way, like really eager. They started to beg beg the Lord. They wanted to know, how long are you going to be silent? How long? Like, when are you going to send this Messiah? When are you going to send this Redeemer? And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed, and for 400 years they just waited and waited and waited. And then, finally, at just the right time, you have Mary and Joseph in this miraculous pregnancy and the census and the manger and the shepherds and the wise men and the angels and all that stuff goes on and that's this is when advent comes in with ad, advent means arrival means coming we celebrate the arrival of the one who came to fix everything that we messed up and bring it back to the original way that God intended for things to be which would be good and perfect, and without sin. We celebrate Advent because He's he's finally here. Hundreds of years of silence. Before that, hundreds of years of up and down, and God speaking through prophets and all stuff, pointing forward and pointing forward, and finally, there He is. He's here. That's why Advent is such a big deal. That's why, you know, typically like Christmas is... Santa Claus and Christmas lights and Christmas carols and and you know company parties and family get-togethers and all these things that are fine and good uh, with the church. Like for us, it's it's Advent. We celebrate the arrival of the Messiah, the one who has come and said, "I'm making all things new. I'm fixing the curse. I'm bringing us back to basically Eden, the way everything where everything started. And with our redemption comes the redemption of all of creation underneath that. See, that's why when you go if we go and you look at what it says in Romans 8, creation is not longing for their own Messiah. They're longing for humanity to be redeemed. Because when we are redeemed, then the earth and the animals and everything falls underneath that. So everything is pointing forward to the arrival of this Messiah. And so there he is, the baby in the manger, you know, like everything that we love about the Christmas story, but it means something different because we understand those three chunks of truth. And so that's what Advent is. That's why we celebrate it, and that's why that's why it's a we make a big deal out of it because He's come to make everything new. So here's you know, the, there's the the baby, and the baby we know grows up, and uh, when he's about thirty or so years old, he kind of has his. His moment where, you know, things go public with him and we see him baptized and we, we know he was in the desert, tempted and stuff like that. And there's this incredible moment where he goes back to his hometown, to his home synagogue, home church uh, kind of deal. And he gets up and he reads scripture. And uh, I don't we don't have this on the slide. But let me just because I wasn't playing on it. Let me just read it real quick. Uh, he says when we talk about it all the time. He, he reads this scripture, says the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Think about those things. Good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, sight to the blind, liberty those who are oppressed. He's saying the Spirit of the Lord is on me to to go back in this direction, to make all things new is basically what he's saying to set things right again. So he reads that scripture, which is from, which is one of the prophecies that pointed to him. And he sits down and he says, this scripture has come true today because I'm, because I'm here. Like I'm the fulfillment of that. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one everybody's been waiting on. My advent has come. And so we, we see him go and, and he lives this perfect life. And he, he has these disciples that he trains and he goes, and everyone he preaches, you know, change the way, change the way you're thinking. Um, The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is, is here. It's available. Uh, he's training these people up. He's getting everybody ready. He's revealing who God really is to people who had no idea who he was. Um, and so he preaches and he lives and he does all this, this amazing stuff. Um, he does everything without sin, goes to the cross, uh, dies that substitutionary death in our place. Like we talked about last week as we celebrate communion, um, and then, like he's he's gone, he takes off, goes. To, he's like, "Look, I gotta go. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go, and uh, the spirit is gonna come. and It'll be much better. Trust me, you'll see. Um, and uh, I'll I'll be back later." That's my rough translation. He goes, spirit comes, church is born, gospel spreads all out the earth. You and I are here because of because of faithful men and women who went ahead of us. And others will be in a part of the faith because hopefully we are faithful. And, and so we know at some point there'll be another Advent. Be another arrival. Because Advent is not just about like baby Jesus in the manger. Advent is about the arrival of a Messiah who said. Come to make all things new. And it says, I'm going to go, get things ready, and then I'm going to come back. So there's another Advent that's coming as well. So at some point, we'll be rejoined again, and we'll talk some more details about that next week. But conceptually, we have to realize that in in this third chunk that I've kind of made up, there's one Advent, and then there's another Advent. There's the first Advent of baby Jesus, Okay? He leaves heaven, comes to earth. There's the second Advent when he is rejoined and we're all rejoined together again, that will happen sometime time in the future. So now we're we're kinda we're in between the two Advents. And so a celebration of, of Advent if we're not if if looking forward to his second Advent is not a part of how we celebrate things, then we're we're missing out on the significance of, of what this time is supposed to be about. So that's why we didn't bust out singing Christmas carols tonight um, because we're singing Advent songs. Advent songs are about the two arrivals of our Messiah and what He has done, making all things new. So when we sing, "It's all because of Jesus, I'm alive," we're we're talking about those two those two times together. We're talking about those two Advents of Jesus. I think that's a part of why why He's leading us. Uh, to talk about this the second the second coming and heaven and all that kind of stuff, because I think I think we we're missing half the story so much when we just focus on the the manger scene. And there's anything wrong with it, and we will focus on it, and it'll be good. We're gonna start at the end and kind of work our way backwards a little bit. So okay, so what does all that what does it have to do with with us tonight? Um what's the point of me saying all that stuff? The point is this. Uh Aside from us needing to understand Advent, needing to understand when, when Jesus says, I'm making all things new, what, what what is he talking about? What is he making new? And why does it need to be made new? Um, we need to get all that stuff. We also we need to understand better what it means to live in between the first Advent of Jesus and the second Advent of Jesus. And that's, that's where we find ourselves. We know he, he came the first time, just like the prophet said he would. We also know that He's coming to come again, and complete everything. So, what does that mean for us here, like in the here and now? I think I think it means a lot of things, and there's just no way to list all the implications of this truth. But I think one of the one of the biggest ones for us this year is going to be is going to be this fact, and we talk about this a lot. But maybe this will be a little bit presented a little bit differently. Um, when He says, "Behold, I'm making all things new." That is not exclusively a future statement. And I think a lot of us live as though it is just like just in the future, you know like well, one day uh Jesus will come back, and all this stuff will be fine, and everything will be okay you know? when I was in college, we had this like joke that really wasn't that funny, but it was like, man, I know I should study, but Jesus might come back tomorrow, and then I would have wasted my last night, you know whatever uh. We can't just live it, like thinking that all the good stuff is down the road. There's tremendously, uh, there's just a tremendous amount of good stuff down the road, absolutely. But when he says, Revelation 21 5, behold, I'm making all things new. Listen to me. You're one of the things. And I'm one of the things. And. Our newness is not just in the future; it's already begun. That when, when you and I, when we repent of our sins and place our faith in Christ, that new work has, it, has it's begun in us. And so, although He hasn't returned yet, He's 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 getting it done here in our hearts. And he's renewing our minds. And so what that means is that if we have this understanding that he who began a good work in, I'll use myself, he who began a good work in me will be faithful to bring it to completion in Christ Jesus. Like I know it'll be complete then, but he's begun it now. So I don't sit here and tread water until until that day comes. I don't sit back and just kind of do whatever just because I got that ticket to the heavenly land, you know? It's not it's not how it works. See, I I have to I have to live in heaven today. Because he's he's started making me new. There are parts of me that are new. And so whatever heaven's gonna look like. This is why I think like next week is so important. Whatever heaven's going to look like, that helps describe what life should look like for me now. That's why Jesus comes and preaches a sermon on the mount, you know, and that's what we're studying our community groups. That's what that's another way of saying what we've been saying every single week. It's living in the kingdom now. It's it's the future reality that's for us. It's just you're just you're in now. There's no need to wait because He's already making you new, and so there will come a day when there, when when it's it's total and it's complete, and all that. So in the meantime, everything about my whole life is changed when I when I fully grasp that, this reality, and I live rooted really, really deeply in like in this fact. See, that's why that's why the way we celebrate Advent. Uh, has become different over the last couple of years. That we've we started taking up, you know, an offering to to invest money into something that that looks like the kingdom, that looks like the king, that looks like heaven, right, right here and now. That's why we've we've reexamined how we like our spending at Christmas and our gift giving. We want to give gifts that that look like that. They look like the newness that. Jesus has like already started in us. And so we break free from like this materialism that seems to just have such a grip on us and we start to pry that stuff away and we start to say no 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 if I'm going to celebrate advent that I'm going to celebrate first coming of Jesus second coming of Jesus meet in the middle he's already begun something new so everything I do if I really want to celebrate advent it's it's got to look like the king it's got to look like the kingdom it's got to look like heaven because because that's that's what is reality for me. And it's not just about how we celebrate Christmas. I mean this is an every day of the year reality for us. So we talk about investing in the relationships that God gives us. Like that's that's what it is is that we're if we're already living in heaven, we're putting heaven on display for people to see. People can should be able to see the fact that God is, is making all things new and we're one of the things. So this is what new looks like. not saying that we're perfect. This is what being new and in process looks like. This is what grace looks like. This is what mercy looks like. This is what kindness, the kindness of God looks like. But we display it. So it should impact our, our co-workers. Advent should make a huge difference with our co-workers. Not just in the gift that we give them. It should make a difference in June as well. Like this is this should be holistic for us that we we have to be forward thinking because when we think forward we bring that into our present and that's what's so difficult for me is like, okay heaven heaven's not future like heaven's now for me like bring bring it into the present bring it in to the present and then go to work bring it into the present and go to Walmart bring it into the present and go to a family gathering bring it in the into the present and and do your your budget bring it into the present and fill in the blank whatever you want to think um that's that is how things should change so when we struggle through with with forgiveness and restoration when we struggle with with sin and sanctification and holiness when we struggle with living in community there's all these things that are, are out there if we were to stop and look forward and say what is this going to look like in heaven what is it which is another way of saying what does this look like in the kingdom which is another way of saying what does the king look like and what does he think in regard to this. We bring all that into our present, and that shows us what. Like this is what you do. That's what Advent is. It's like in one hand we hold on to the first coming of Jesus. In the other hand we hold on to the second coming of Jesus. And we recognize like both of these things impact my daily life in ways that that we I really can't grasp but I want to start grasping them. I really want to get this. And so this week in community group you one of the verses you look at is Matthew 6:33. Seek first the kingdom of God. That's what it means. I'm not trying to ruin community group for anybody but like that. So that's advent that's that's why why we celebrate it the way that we do. It's why we're going to take up the offering on Christmas Eve. That's why we're challenging you to not uh, to not give into materialism. That's why we're challenging everybody to give gifts that look like this. That's why we're that's why we're doing this the way that we're doing it um, is that that obedience helps us to understand that Jesus is making all things new. He's fixing everything that man messed up because of sin, and he's bringing us back to the original design for things. Um, but the thing is, is, he's not just bringing us back to this, like, caveman time, you know, back in Eden kind of thing. Like, when when he makes all things new, it's, it's going to blow, blow your minds, I think, next week when we go through really, really slowly and look at some of the implications of some of the things that are ahead for us. Um, and so, so I think, I think tonight is hopefully maybe going to cast a little bit of a vision for our next couple weeks together. We need to walk through these next several weeks together as a church and community groups and that kind of stuff, but also as individuals where you live and where you work and with your families and all that kind of stuff, and really think, okay, um, how how can how can I live in between the two advents of Jesus and put that on display? I think asking asking the Lord to give you a vision for what your advent season can look like and how like your world can be impacted would be just a tremendous thing you think about collectively all right if, if i've been made new and you've been made new and you and you and you and you like take all these lives and put them together look how much heaven is on display i mean think think about how much people should understand what heaven looks like through just just being displayed with our lives and if you bring every Christian in Baton Rouge, if, if if everybody was doing that, think about how much heaven would be displayed in our city all the time. And so that's that's where we, that's where we need to go with this. Um, so here's here's this, my closing deal. This is, this is what I think Advent really really does for us. Um, in uh, back in Jesus's day, we've talked about this before, uh, when when a a couple was in. Was to be engaged. Uh, a lot of times, it was a, it was arranged by the parents, you know. And uh, so once once the the parents came to good terms, and the groom and the bride to be uh, were on good terms, they would um, they'd have a sort of a little ceremony kind of deal. And a part of the ceremony is they would drink they would drink from a common cup, which was each of them like basically saying like I will enter in, into this agreement, um, which has a lot of ties to communion. So, um, and so that's what that's what they would do. And upon their engagement, the uh, the bride to be would go back home, and the groom would go back to his home. The bride would wait for the groom to come back and marry her. the The groom would go to his his parents' house, and uh, they lived in these like kind of square kind of communities. And so he would go, and he would build on another room to the family you know, connection of houses. Uh, he would build on like like their their space, their room, their whatever, part of the house. Um, And however long it took him to do that was how long she waited for him. And so maybe he was like super handy, you know, it took him like a week. Maybe like he was not super handy and it took him seven years. Um, However long it took, she waited at the house because she didn't know when he was going to come to the house and knock on the door and they would have the wedding ceremony. Uh, she just didn't know, so she waited, and that's that's kind of where we are. If you think about it, that, that Jesus has uh, he has become engaged, so to speak, to us as the church. We we drink from that common cup in communion. Um, that has been arranged, and so when when Jesus leaves, uh, if you if you go through and you read, remember, he says, "I'm uh, I'm going to prepare a place for you." Okay, what he said. Would have conjured up wedding imagery in their minds. Be the same thing as when the groom goes back and starts building a room onto his his parents' place. So he's gone. He's preparing a place for us. So we're kind of like the the bride to be that's waiting at home, not knowing not knowing when that his second advent is going to come. We're just we're waiting. And so one of the things that these uh, bride the brides to be they would have like their friends there to kind of help them wait. You know. And uh, there's you know a parable of like you know the, of having enough, uh, oil in the lamps stuff like that, uh, and so you'd have these these uh, like your bridesmaids I guess maybe where they're like waiting and stuff. Um, for for us in between the two Advents, I think the church calendar kind of functions like those different bridesmaids. I think as we come upon Lent, as we come upon Advent, um, and there's some other parts of the church calendar that maybe we should look at, at implementing. I, th- I think those are there to help us in our waiting. Because we know He's preparing a place for us, and we know He's coming to get us, we just don't know when. So I think that the Advent helps us wait. But the difference between us and that that connection to that kind of imagery is that the brides, they waited in their house. For us, we wait, we live, we go. We're going all the time, we're going all the time, we're going all the time. So we're out there, we're not just sitting in our houses treading water. We're out there. So I think Advent comes in and serves as a reminder of just how good our groom is. Yeah. You know? I think Advent kind of just, wh- just whispers to us. Don't don't forget how don't forget his goodness. Don't forget Psalm twenty three. You know, don't forget all that he has done. Don't forget uh like the beauty of his first advent. Don't forget all that you know about his second Advent. Don't forget about the future. Um, live in that future, but live it today because there are people who need to be brought into that. Don't forget. Don't forget. Don't forget. I think that's what Advent does for us. In, in our waiting, Advent whispers of the faithfulness and the goodness of the one who's coming back for us. Because He is, he is just that good. And we don't know when He's coming, but He's coming. And it's going to be awesome. But until then... There's like daylight's burning, you know there's there's stuff to be done, and so let's pour ourselves into things that look like advent that look like Jesus that look like the kingdom this year let's let's pray together Lord um we thank you for uh for just so much goodness that we just, that we live in all the time um, and that's because your presence is everywhere. And uh, I'm grateful that that you didn't leave us in that in that middle part of the story under that curse of sin. And you just you didn't just leave us there to fend for ourselves that you formed this plan. uh, And part of that was you leaving earth. I'm sorry, leaving heaven and coming to earth and uh, making a way back to you. So we ask God that you would help us to really have a vision for, uh, for what the next couple of weeks could look like for us, uh, financially and relationally, um, just within our own selves, our own sanctification, our own pursuit of holiness and righteousness, um, that we would really be able to live faithfully between, between your two advents, you know, um, That we would display your goodness, the goodness of the one to come, and that uh, everyone would see that. This would be a time that when you use us in just really powerful ways, a time when everybody's already talking about it, that you'd help us to display uh, just how phenomenal this whole story is. Uh, we love you, and we pray this in your name. Amen.